Welcome to Ideas with Lex, a podcast to help you become that go-to person who can think on their feet or even invent that side hustle project that brings in cash and kudos. G'day guys, Nils Vesk from Ideas with Legs. It's an absolute pleasure to have you today where I'm going to be talking all about the future. If you're someone who's interested in finding out what might be the next big thing that you could capitalize on, either for your own business, for your own side shuffle, or for something in your organization, then this little episode, we're going to be unpacking some of the ways that we can look at some of the key critical emerging trends that are happening in the world of technology and science. Now, as much as I'd love to talk to you about all of the different trends that are out there in terms of socio-cultural trends, economic, environmental, political trends, we've only got this much time. So I just want to start for this session to talk about some of these exciting technological and scientific trends. So buckle up because it is going to be fun and I hope you can make the most of our session today. So you might be thinking, um, you know, why would we want to, in many ways, think like a futurist? Now, if you're not sure of what a futurist is, there are a number of futurists that are engaged in by organizations around the world, myself included. And what we do is we look at what are some of the emerging trends that are happening out there, not so much to predict them, but to anticipate them. And from these anticipations, create scenario plans for organizations or individuals to say, uh-huh, here's an area that's really worth identifying and looking into to find whether we should be creating a new product with this space or this new technology, or if there's going to be some new needs or frustrations that our customers might be having that we can capitalize on. So I always often say that the higher we go, the further we can see. So I hope that makes sense to you straight away and off the bat. All right, um, so I want to talk to you a little bit around, um, a little bit quickly, a little bit about myself. You might be wondering who's Nils Vesk and Ideas with Legs. Essentially, I work around the globe, uh, working with all kinds of companies from Fortune 500 companies to small tech startups to help them capitalize on great innovative insights and develop commercial products, processes, and services and take them to market. All right, that's enough of a blurb from me, but um, I wanna share some of the stuff that I work with and share with the giant big companies who've got the big budgets to help you in your world, whatever that business or in a dream of an idea or innovation might be. And what I thought before I even get started in talking about the trends, something that people often come to me with a bit of a pain point is, how do I know if something is gonna be a trend or if it's going to be something like a fad. And there are five key phases or distinct phases to trends. First, we have a dawning trend, like the sun rising up, it's just starting to appear. Then we either have something that turns into a developing trend or it pops away and turns it into a fad straight away because sometimes it can happen, it looks exciting, but it's got no legs behind it. Three, we have a developing trend that's gone even further or developed trend. And then once it's gone through its cycle, it might start to decay. And at the end of its life cycle, whether it's one or two or 10 years down the track, it's gonna be discarded. And the reason why this is important is that as much as I'm gonna be sharing some of what I think are the emerging trends, it's up to you guys to kind of almost imagine you've got some glasses as a filter 
to determine whether there's an opportunity in there for you and whether it's going to be a fad or a trend. And some ways that you can get clear about whether something's going to be a trend or a fad is to identify whether there is some increasing search traffic around a term. So you could go to wordtracker.com, for example, look at some of the keyword analysis, what people are searching for. Another thing is to look at the potential market size. If you've got a huge market for this new opportunity or this new trend, then wow, it's more than like it's gonna hang around. And then the other one is to think about the geography and the location and what application it might be. There's some things. Here's what I like to do. I create what I call a polar bar chart. And I look at a number of different areas. So I look at how different is this potential new trend compared to anything else that's out there. We call this differentiation. The higher the level of differentiation, more likely it's going to be a trend versus a fad. How superior is the quality of this new trend or new technology compared to what other existing competitive things that might be out there? How new is it? I know that's, that's actually a word, newness. So how fresh is it? Is it gonna grab people's attention? Um, does it have the ability to create a distinct market category? If it can create its own niche or niche, as you guys like to say in America, then that's going to enable us to, to sell it even more. Aesthetics, you'd be surprised how much aesthetics plays a role in what people are buying and purchasing and using nowadays. The more aesthetically pleasing it is, the easier it is to sell. How groundbreaking is it? Is it taking us into new territory that no one else has done before? The higher the groundbreaking distance that we do or the deeper we can break into the ground, the better. And then we also have customer community. So how does it engage? Does it create a tribe? Does it create a community? And then finally, how well does it perform? Does it do what it's actually promising to go out there and do? So those are, I guess, uh, five, uh, a number of different ways that we can look at eight different ways that we can determine whether a trend is gonna hang around, or whether it's gonna be a fad. Throughout this session today, I'm gonna to be referring to a trends chart that I've developed. And we develop a, a number of these. And the reason why I want to just call it out at the start is that please head over to our website, ideaswithlegs.com forward slash free, and you'll be able to get your own free trends chart because I just don't have the time to go into every one of these trends as you can imagine. But to explain how it works, on the left we have what are, I guess, um, trends that are happening right now. Um, some are certain to happen, and then as we start to head over to the right, we get to the near future and into the distant future. And as we go higher, up on the y-axis, we go from what is certain to happen to probable to possible and then uncertain. So use that, please check it out because it will really help you to get clearer about ways that we can identify the trends that we want to capitalize on in our business, whatever that might be. Cool. All right, so let's get stuck into it. So I'm not going to talk about all of them, but I want to talk to you about five what I think are core key areas of the trends in science and technology. I want to talk about wearables and digestibles, 3D technology in terms of printing. I want to talk about AI and machine learning. I want to talk about genetics and biotech. And I also want to talk about AR and VR. It's going to be fun. So let's find out a little bit as we start with this concept of wearables 
and digestibles because it's cool. If we were to look out there, there's some things happening now. We've got smart nappies, smart tats, smart dunnies, as we call them in Australia, or smart toilets, smart dust, edible passwords, and DNA-based data storage coming our way. These are some pretty interesting and exciting things that are coming. So let's have a little bit of an expose. Smart nappies, they're already starting to happen. There's uh, some companies, I think there's one in Korea and uh, another one in Sweden that have developed smart nappies that look at moisture your content. Um, we all know that people are wearing more and more sensors on the body, but it's really starting to take to a new level. It's about how can we use biometrics to analyze what's going on. Another big thing that I think is going to be happening a lot more is the concept of digital tattoos. And this is also on this trend of having body sensors, not only on the outside, but on the inside. Makes a lot of perfect sense for people who might have a, a medical issue where all of their medical data might be tattooed. Now, at the same time as we've got medical tattoos, if we were to face this off with another extreme, what we actually have happening is there is a big increase in Laser Cosmetics 4, specifically for tattoo removal. Um, it's a very, very good place. I just spoke to uh, someone who was from a major investment bank the other day and they were going out there buying as many cosmetic clinics as they could, specifically around laser tattoo removal and also with um, keeping people primped up and looking nice and fresh. Okay, what else do we have? Well, we've got more and more wearable data. You might notice this woman's got a beautiful piece of jewelry, a bangle, um, and it's starting to go next level. There are things like you can get with sunglasses that have sensors in the nose bridge that will start to analyze what your heart rate is and then also start to look at the galvanic response of your, um, I think it relates to your stress levels and you can sync it through to your brain there's some, going to be some interesting new, I think, wearable data that relate to headsets and what's happening in the brain. Smart Dust, um, Moog and DARPA, some of the research institutes in defense in the USA are exploring the ideas how we can use Smart Dust to communicate, um, to capture things and along the lines of that. Um, so there's some pretty interesting little components around that. I also mentioned um, edible passwords. I don't know if you're a bit like me and you keep forgetting your password, but an edible password would make, uh, make life so much easier. So have a bit of a look for those things. Next thing is happening around 3D printing. I know, I know, you know all about it, that's cool. But 3D printing is come and has come a long way and it's going to continue to go uh, further. I mean, if we come back maybe eight, ten years ago, there we had the Twilight figurines from that vampire movie. I know in Australia every school has a 3D printer and the most commonly printed object were the figurines from Twilight, go figure that one out. Uh, but nowadays we're building rocket engines with 3D printers. Um, we're printing drugs and that's gonna become bigger. There's gonna be food printing going on and also molecular printing, which is, I can dare say, is the holy grail. If you can work out how to print a molecule, the building block of anything, then you can build pretty much anything. So really watch this space. But let's go a little bit further and identify some of these things. I wanna give you the commercial example. So I said, 3D printers that are printing rockets. And one of those is the game changer of a business called Rocket Lab. Originally a New Zealand company across the Tasman here, and um, they worked out that, you know what, we could build things with a 3D printer. So let's see how we can do it. Now they're based in the USA, and what they do is they 3D print a new engine within 24 hours at a million dollars each. Now somehow it uses electricity versus rocket fuel. I'm sadly, I'm not a rocket scientist, can I, so I can't tell you exactly what's going on there, but um, 
yeah, so they look at not giant rockets, but more micro rockets, which also fits into that trend of micro space, that is having micro satellites. I know Australia, for the first time in whatever we, we uh, announced, I think about eight months ago, um, Australia's first ever space agency, because a lot of smaller players are getting in their sharing on smaller satellites, which is really mixing things up, kind of exciting. All right, so what else have we got? We have AI and machine learning. So we've, we know about chatbots, but whoa, boy, are chatbots coming a long way. And not only are they coming a long way, but they're actually going into real live conversational interfaces. If you haven't already done it, please go out and check out the uh, new Google um, uh, chatbot or assistant, virtual assistant that is totally AI that will be doing phone calls for you and all kinds of stuff. Um, just do a Google, you'll find it. Um, the, the, I guess where people are trying to head with, always been with artificial intelligence, is being able to, when we talk about deep learning, it's about enabling a computer to think like we do. To, and when we can think like we do, we can solve different things. And there's already been some massive inroads by DeepMind, one of the Google offshoot sort of research businesses that are out there doing things. Um, one of the things that they're interested in doing, say for example, is they've been looking at what we call predictive learning. So you may have heard of um, algorithms that will look at you know, what someone is going to do, but predictive was old school. Now they're talking about intentional-based algorithms. So rather than just saying, what are they going to do next? It's like, why would they do that next different thing? So algorithms are just becoming so much more, uh, it's almost like if you wanted to invent something, if you can invent the algorithm, you can create a you know more than a million dollar idea. Um, there's a beautiful article in New Scientist magazine just the other week about um, you know the algorithms and who's checking the algorithms and you know it's all up to the programmer. But um, you know watch that sort of space there. Um, nanotubes. So if you're interested in processing speed rather than going with the um, old silicon chip thing, we're moving on to carbon nanotubes. The speed of all those different things is going to improve massively, which means more computing speed, um, more data ability, and more prediction and um, computation skills and ability. Uh, it's going through the roof. Now, if you think, am I making all of this stuff? Well, let's have a look at AI, for example. I think it was in 2011, there might have been about $282 million invested in it. And then, just four years later, in 2015, $2.4 billion invested. Um, come another four years to now, I'm sure it's probably doubled that right now because it's just creating so many game changes for business in terms of the number of staff they might need, uh, the, the, the ability to get things done, making life simpler and the sort. And also responsiveness. That's one of the things that AI can do. Chatbots are there because no one's there to pick up the phone, but a chatbot can begin a conversation and based on that conversation, work out where you should go next. So let's look at um, some other things that are happening around in AI and machine learning. We've got childcare robots coming along. Um, aged care robots, I know it's such a big challenge, aged care around the world, and you know, let's get a robot to do it rather than some sort of shifty, uh, dodgy person out there that sort of might be, you know, not the most friendly, loving, um, caring person out there, but um, watch that space. Delivery robots, we only need to look at um, how we're looking in terms of drone deliveries, but delivery robots could be more, and dare I say it, sex, reassets ugly, ugly head, um, sex robots come along that. Let me give you a commercial example of this. 
And one of these is to look at a game changer by the name of iris.ai. And what they use is they use artificial intelligence to help you do research for you. So I work with a lot of R&D labs around the world, very smart, clever people, and a lot of their challenges around doing research. So what this AI does is it enables people to do research for them using predictive algorithms to help uh, work out what's going on there. So it searches through all of the different literatures, different scientific um, articles and papers and journals and all of that type of stuff much, much more successfully than some of the traditional old um, keyword searching type systems to, to get things for you. Um, really interesting thing, they suggest it reduces research by 30 to 50%. I know this has been very valuable to organizations that do research that way. All right, so enough of AI. I want to get on a couple more, otherwise we're not going to have enough time there. I want to talk to you about genetics and biotech. Um, I work with a lot of biotechs and also work with a lot of pharmaceutical companies looking at you know, the human genome and you know, how do we look at creating some new drugs for them that are going to work. Um, I want to refer you to a video that I think you should watch. Um, go and check out Jennifer Doudna, D-O-U-D-E. NA, um, um, and uh, she's a, a great professor who's right up to speed on the CRISPR technology, which is where we do gene editing. And so gene editing is enabling really anything is to change the DNA of any organism. You may have heard, I think it might have been about two or three months ago, it was uh, one of the Chinese uh, researchers had uh, was working on um, a potential uh, we would call it um, child to be um, that was going to be born with AIDS, and they managed to somehow do some sort of you know resistivity to uh, a disease and all kinds of you know DNA editing going on there. But um, very controversial, um, slammed by the Chinese government and others. But just showing you where things are going. Um, so where is this genetics and biotech at the moment? Well, currently, uh, gene editing can, can help to cure sickle cell anemia in the laboratory. Um, you could be using gene editing to help species under pressure in terms of, let's say, biology. If there's, uh, there's a resistivity to a particular type of bug that might be attacking a plant or a tree. Um, and another interesting thing that, that um, some of Jennifer's predictions are around by 2021 that um, we'll be able to use this uh, gene editing to address diseases of the blood, liver and the eyes. So it's all good, not to say to go out there and get sick, but there are some interesting things happening in that world. So please check it out. All right, fifth and final thing. I know I'm hitting you quick, but I just wanted to sort of get you inspired. And by all means, please go to check out the, the free trends chart at ideaswithlegs.com forward slash free. When you download that trends chart, it will make a lot more sense to you. Okay, AR and VR. Now, a lot of people, if you're wondering, what's the difference? So AR is augmented reality, where we have some glasses. We can still see through things, but we have um, lenses that will enable us to see information. So we're still looking around the physical environment. We can interact. Um, and VR is when we have a totally enclosed goggles. Um, so originally, everyone started to talk about VR. I think AR is probably um, having VR definitely in gaming and also in particular types of training, but AR in the work environment for people actually doing work with it. So here's the thing. VR the, has been increasing in terms of the number of them by about 250% since 2012. That means there is a lot more players in this space because 
there's a lot more demand. So if you're looking for a, an emerging trend, say, well, how on earth could I use AR or VR in what I do or an idea that I might be working on? Um, it's being used to change net promoter scores, it's being used to attract new staff, it's being used to train staff, and it's also being used in the military. Let's have a bit of a look at some of these ones. Check it out if you can, an organization by the name of metavision.com, or they call themselves Meta. What they do is they do amazing augmented reality um, headsets and um, have created work, work interfaces that enable you to work um, pretty much still in a desk environment. So they've arranged it in many ways as it would look like a desk but basically you could sit or stand anywhere and with your goggles see your multiple screens and pull things and drag things um, I'm not going to share a video on this one just you know please go out check them out you'll be blown away by what these guys are doing at the moment um, check them out. So what are some other things? VR. So Intuit, an amazing company, we're out there doing some of their uh, career <clears throat> career shows and trying to get new people in there. And they spent 10 days creating a VR experience of its workplace culture. And what they found is that um, to advertise the students come and work for us, and they found that their net promoter score went from a minus 60 to a plus 30 just by doing this VR where people were getting engaged. Oh, I like the idea of it. I like what they're doing. I think they're a pretty cool business. Now, I don't know whether that's necessarily the best thing or, or the worst thing, but you know, Net Promoter School works in some interesting ways. But just an example of how you can attract staff as well as change your Net Promoter School by doing that. Okay, what's another one? Um, Deutsche Bahn, Bahn meaning uh, station or, or train. Um, Zug is actually a train in German, if my German can hold up in my mind. So um, Deutsche Bahn, yeah. So um, German rail would be the equivalent of what they do. <clears throat> and um, they had an aging workforce. And so what they said is like, gosh, we've got to attract younger new workers to come and work for us, but how are we going to do it? And thought traditionally the ways they were doing it, just doing normal advertising wasn't working. So they said, right, we've got to go VR. And so by providing VR headsets um, at career fairs to attract um, or to show younger staff how things work, they got to see live experience of what the work would be and they started to increase. They found, I think, about by five to 10 times more applicants by using VR. So it's a classic example of how those activities can be used to get more people in. All right, um, another one. Uh, I know in Australia down under here, one of our largest banks, uh, Commonwealth Bank CBA, one of my clients, they've been using um, VR to help assess candidates around what sort of decision-making they would be doing in a particular type of situation a problem or a challenge. So it's being used in a lot of different ways, as well as obviously um, training people how to do different things. I know um, Walmart um, in the US do a lot of training through their VR. And of course, the US military um, using that those skills and that the equipment and that technology to enable people to experience real combat live experiences without actually having to go out there and shoot live rounds and and um, travel too far to make that happen. So they are some um, classic examples. So where is this all heading? So something that you might want to be interested in, what are some of the potential jobs that might be coming? Uh, so autonomous transportation specialist, that is for those vehicles that drive on their own, we need some specialists in that. Human technology integration specialist, what that basically is, is <clears throat> what's the right type of technology for what I do? There's so many, Technologies, there's so much software. It's getting to a point where people are going to say, 
I do this for my work, what's the best software, what are the skills I need to know and technology to help me out. It's almost like a, a personal coach for your technology and how you optimize them. Drone manager, I know um, NASA for quite a while have been working on um, individual passenger drones and what flight paths and how they can manage that type of situation. Um, I know in Australia there's a lot of organizations looking at drone delivery services, so you know, watch that space. Self-driving car mechanic, um, and then we have private industry air traffic control, again, uh, some of those different areas. So there's just a few interesting jobs that you might want to consider. Again, to help you along the way, please check out ideaswithlegs.com forward slash free, and you can download this amazing uh, trends chart that will take you about some of those emerging trends. Please check it out because I think it can really help you to look for the next big thing. Now, why do we want trends? Trends lead to great insights. Insights lead to great ideas. Ideas enable us to create great prototypes, which will enable us to create great uh, products, processes, or services. It's been an absolute pleasure. Hope that's been of value to you, and we'll look forward to seeing you again soon. So that's it from this episode, but be sure to subscribe for more strategies on how to turn ideas into income. And please rate and review us so that we can deliver the goods next time.